sang this song to me There was a message in his melody Sweetest lyrics that I ever heard There's a message in the songs of birds Tomorrow is another day Living is the only way Tomorrow's gonna ever come Listen to the words of the song I'm Stephanie Wilson Coleman. I want to thank you for joining me today uh, with Denise Turney. She's an, an absolutely amazing woman. Before I introduce her, I'm going to do some housekeeping tips. They are, I want you to go to my Facebook page and I want you to like me and, and follow me. And then you can go to my business page. Also, Stephanie Wilson Coleman, the Empowerment Doctor. But to see this show, you've got to go to Stephanie Wilson Coleman, Empower Dr. If you don't, you won't see this show there, okay? Also, go on right over there to YouTube and say like uh, for the show under the, Ins the Inspire channel. So I would appreciate that to, if you would do that for me. How was it going? How did you get started? Uh, so tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, first of all, thank you. And I'm happy to be here on, on your show. What a, what a, I love doing, first of all, connecting with readers and connecting with people in the community. So this is a wonderful opportunity. So thank you again. How, how did I get started like with my writing? Actually that story is kind of, uh, it's kind of a unique story to me anyway it is. I call this my Moses burning bush type of experience. I love to read when I was a kid. And so when I was, I want to say as almost as early as I can remember, five, six, seven, I was a voracious reader. And when I say I love to read, I would read 10 to 50 books a week. Now my schedule's so busy that I mean I don't read nowhere near that. But I, I did. And I remember I would go to the library and the teachers like, do you really read all those books? And I said yes. And I mean, anywhere, what do you want for your birthday? Books, what do you want for Christmas? Books. I was a little kid, that's what I wanted. Was, I love Barbie dolls too, but it was books. And so when I was, I was probably about six or seven and I was at home and I have a sister and three brothers, but they must've been downstairs. I was upstairs reading the book, laying on my stomach uh, in bed. And this question popped up inside of me and to, it felt like it came from angels. And the question was, why do you think you like to read so much? Just an inner being question. And I paused and I, I don't know. I said, I, I don't know why it's inside myself. This is no external hearing or anything. And so then when I was 10, my sister, we, we moved from Dayton, Ohio to Knoxville, Tennessee. When I was 10, my sister comes running up the steps. She was about eight or nine years old. She come running up the steps with this big smile on her face. And she said, look what I found in the library. And this is going back to Knoxville, but this might be any place in the country. And I'm going back to the 1970s. Today, you can find so many books with African-Americans on them. And back then it was, you, there were not as many published African-American authors. Terry McMillan really kind of set that out where people saw mm -hmm. that an author, a black author could make bringing a lot of uh, book sales, but she really kicked that off on her own. 
But anyway, back then it was Gwendolyn Brooks, Maya Angelou, I think Toni Morrison, and then the classics, you know, the James Baldwin, the mm -hmm. Langston Hughes, County Telling. Anyway, so she comes home with this book. And I'm thinking, how did she find this book in the library? She's a teacher today, but how does she find this book? And I'm the avid book reader and I never saw it. Anyway, so I was in a bad mood. My sister goes, oh, I'm going back outside to play. And she runs back downstairs. I said that for a minute, I picked the book up. And, I'm, and I tell the uh, listeners, the viewers that I've read so much, and this is a, a connection to telling, sharing that. So I picked this book up and I started reading it. And this is, I've read like at this point, I don't know how many books. This book had an effect on me that no other book had. And the characters felt like they came alive in this story. And it felt, all the, all, all the stories in these, and they were poems. I, I cannot explain to you. I was like, that's like my Ruby and that's like this one and that's like, and I didn't want this book to end. And it was a book of poetry by Gwendolyn Brooks. Now, when I put this book down and I sat on the bed, I was 10 years old. A feeling came over me. I can't describe it. Oh, wow. It was this weird feeling. I was just a kid. And I said, oh, I'm a writer. And that is it just like it came. It was the weirdest thing. That's how it came to me. Now, years later, when my first book, Portia, which is an inspirational story about a defense attorney in Chicago dealing with breast cancer. When Portia came out, I sent it, the manuscript to Gwendolyn Brooks. Of course, she's since crossed over. And she sent me back a handwritten note, best wishes with your, your book. And I still have that. I still, oh, I still have uh -huh. that note. I said that, you talk about come, coming full circle. And this is, um, this is my book, Portia. It came out, I don't know if you can see it. It came out in 1998. It came out in 1998, August of 98. And this book did really, really well. It still, it still sells people. People, it's, it's a, again, a book about a defense attorney in Chicago dealing with breast cancer. When I would go out on the road to book events, people would literally, when I would, they say, oh, what's the book about? They like the book <laughs> And I tell them it's about an attorney dealing with breast cancer. <laughs> back away i said you can't catch it just read the book you can't catch it by reading the book but people would read it and they told me it was so inspiring that they started buying it for other people in their family their friends who were dealing with the health crisis and this one woman told me that i gave it to my mother she was in the hospital and things were looking very bad for her and my, her mother said I read Portia and I've decided that I want to live again. Oh, that is fantastic. Yeah. Oh God. So my next question ties to, I guess the Portia book, because I noticed that you do write uh, books about life challenges that women face. And what has encouraged you to, to write those kinds of stories? And is there a link to your own life in that? That's a great question. I love to see all people empowered. Again, I'm going back to I grew up in the 70s. And to your listeners, if they're younger, this may sound like I'm talking about another planet. I tell my I tell my siblings, I said, I said, this isn't the world I grew up in. This is not the world I grew up in. I remember the first time I saw a woman pumping gas. 
because you didn't see that I, and 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 you didn't see a woman driving a car and a guy sitting in the passenger seat this is the kind of stuff that is so normal now but was so uncommon so at from for the time that i grew up I, I really thought that women what i saw a lot of women catered to men and i'm not saying that you know if you're married and you people in my family stay married would have seemed like forever but I just wanted to see women like own their careers, do their passions, not give their life. You, you, as, a, as a parent, you're gonna give your life to your kids. But I saw women literally almost like they were only born to serve their husband and be a, be a, mom, be a mm -hmm. mom. And that was it. Like a, like a woman had no dreams of her own. I'm not joking. It was as if a woman had, a woman had no passions of her own, no dreams of her own. And so, I, I really was wanted to see empowered women, women who could raise a family and be married and go after what what that woman wanted to do with her life. So that's why I have char women characters who are empowered. They're 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 empowered women because I saw I saw a lot of the opposite when I was a kid. So just to, just to put that out there for the reader. To, to see that in a woman. And we see more and more empowered women today. And I think it's just good when all people are empowered. I wanna go back a little bit to the Gwendolyn Brooks, Gwendolyn Brooks, excuse me, note. And I know it had an effect on you then. Does it still have an effect on you knowing that she took the time to write a note to you to keep on writing? She, she well, the book, it, it is, it definitely stands out because I was reading her book after having read so many others when I had that experience. And I, I never met Gwendolyn Brooks. I do know somebody who lived in Chicago close to her and that person wrote and they said they met, they met with her and she did look over their writing and she was a pretty tough crit critic, I'm told. But other people who met her said she was like meeting your grandmother. She was so, <laughs> she was so sweet and warm and just so gracious and so inviting. And so, yes, it does, it does stand out to me. She's, the, 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 so many things she's achieved, Pulitzer Prize and just her, her, her works that stand out. She is definitely Chicago's poet and uh, to, to this day. So yes, and to have somebody of that caliber sit down and write me a handwritten note. And she said, you know, I really would more. She said, but my, she was working on a new book she said, but my editor is telling me, you know, I got a tight deadline. I got to meet my, my deadline. And I just was so grateful that she would even take the time to not just send me a standard letter, but she actually hand wrote me a note. And yes, that does. That speaks volumes. It means a lot to me to this day. Introduce us to your novel, Long Walk Up. Who is Malukin and how... Um, has she become an inspiration for more, for many women? Oh, Mulligan, Mulligan. Mulligan, excuse no, me. No, you, you, no. I'm just, what you said is fine, Mulligan. I, this is a, this is the only novel I've written that came to me from my inner being. I was driving, this is, this is almost like telling you about the thing I became a writer. I was driving to Princeton, New Jersey and all of a sudden out of nowhere i was told to write a story about a little girl who had a very hard beginning but she was going to have this glorious glorious ending i mean phenomenal 
and I was told to keep it to like 40 to 50 pages. Okay. So I go and I start writing a, a long walk up and, 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 the, and the little girl in the story, I had, I had seen a story on television about these kids that some in some countries, they call them street children. Okay. And these are kids who they're orphaned. And we know AIDS hit Africa hard, like it hit a lot of other countries, including the United States, especially years ago. And a lot of African children were orphaned and it was really, really bad. And I'm going back to probably the nineties and some people might not really remember it, but the, I saw a real true life story about a little girl. She might've been five or six and her brother was about seven and they, were, they, they, were, they lived in Africa. And they would collect like 10 cans or I forget what it was. And they would turn them in for money and they slept on cardboard boxes, just lay them out flat and sleep on the ground on cardboard boxes. And I will never forget for those kids, it was just get through the day. It, it's not like we're worried about next month or next week, or let me just get through today. And that was, if I just get through the day, I've done a phenomenally good work. Just let me get through the day. And so I said, oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine in America, could any child survive like that in the United States and other countries that they're, they're surviving like that? So that's where the idea for Mulliken with a hard beginning. So what happens to her, her parents are, are living in this, like I call it a community. Some would call it a tribe, or, but I call it a community. And when they get there, it's flourishing. I mean, the, the, the vegetation, everything, the animals, it's just flourishing. Well, it starts to dry up. And it's, it, it, that's what happens in life. You know, things are flourishing and then things start to drive up and you got to know how to shift. And so the leader, the leader still wanted to stay there and wait, hoping that that, that flourishing would return. But a lot of people passed away, including her father and I think her brothers and her, her finally her mother. So she has a choice to make. She's a little six-year-old girl and she has a choice to make. Do I stay here with the community, the only people I've ever known, or do I, do I leave? Something within her uh. let, led her and she takes off up this big hill to, and she doesn't know anything where she's going. And then she, she's hungry, she's starving, she falls, rolls down a hill. And when she rolls down, she rolls into a market. And all she hears is all these, these, these voices she doesn't know anybody, but one thing after the next, just like the those that real life boy, sister and brother, mm -hmm. if I can just make it through the day. So okay. she just does enough to get through and she happens upon a, a man, he and his wife take in orphans. So they take, they take her in. I don't want to give the whole story away, but Mulliken, through all the shifts and change, and even after she meets wonderful Destin and her family, and Mulliken sleeps in a bed for the first time in her whole life. She doesn't even know what it is. But Mulliken goes on to work in, in government. And she, she one, of the, one of the men she worked for, he's a very respected leader of a country in Africa. And he gets sick. And he tells her she has to fill in for him for something. And she's, she's, a, she's like a writer for him. And she doesn't want to. But she's lacking confidence. 
this mollikin, this little orphan six-year-old girl, do I stay in the community where I started? Do I just follow this internal guidance and go on? She becomes Africa's first woman president. I was so into the story. It's like, <laughs> I'm sitting here like, oh God, it's so, oh, it is so interesting and cool. Oh man, yes, I encourage everyone to read that story. That is just what we need, especially in today's society. As you said, things flourished and there's a drop. We're coming out of, we were doing well, then there was COVID, we're coming yes. out now. And a lot of us are wondering, what to do, uh, how to do it. And I was just mesmerized by the synopsis of your story. So thank you. I love books too. I'd like to hear the stories being told. I love stories. So this is a good match for me. So. Okay, uh, great, great. So that's so, the title. That's how the title came about. Long, long Walk Up. up. Long Walk right. Up. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that a lot. So I, you know, I've got a series of questions. I, I love writers, I love stories. So uh, here's my next question. You also wrote a nonfiction book titled Awaken Blessings of Inner Love. Shortcuts to self-love and success in a busy world. Share two to three key benefits that readers can gain from reading your book. And I think this is an important piece of work also because a lot of us need to awakened to our blessings. And some of us have gotten so that, I mean, you read the internet, this like issues with self-love, success, we're not good enough. We're not, you know, the world's too busy. What can we actually gain from reading the book? Okay, well, thank you for asking. I will tell you this about uh, Awakening Blessings of Inner Love. And this is something I learned. I learned over years and 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 different conferences I, I used to go to when I would travel more for book events. Of course, COVID shut a lot of that down. But I will just tell you about one conference I went to and then I answered the two specific things. I've gone to conferences where women, two women, a black woman stood up and said they were so strong. They were the go-to ones in a family, go-to in a church, go-to in the community. Yes. And they both had like a breakdown. And, and neither one of them knew what was happening. One said it hit her so fast and so hard. She, it, it took her a long time to even know what was happening. She just got to where she didn't want to come outside. She didn't want to talk to friends. Or, and she, she realized later she had become depressed. And there was another woman, it was slower for her, but she said, when I tell you I was, I was the go-to, I was the strong one and it, and it happened. So Awakening Blessings of Inner Love is one of the points you will get out of this, of the book is, you will see how important it is to practice self-love every day because if you don't our world is so busy so full all it takes is one unexpected shift emergency <laughs> and it could knock you out and you would you wouldn't even know it till it came you right now you could think oh i'm i'm fine i'm strong everything's good just one more thing just one more thing just one more thing, and you, you could be flat. So that's one of the key, key things uh, stressed in the book. You have to do, take care of yourself every day. And some ways you have to practice self-awareness to pay attention to how do you feel? Or do you, do you see your, your thoughts are changing? Are they becoming more negative? Are you dwelling more on negative things? Uh, so that's, that's number one, and that is critical. That is so critical. You can't wait till holiday to do it. 
And then uh, the second thing is techniques. Techniques that easy techniques you can use to practice self-love. You know, we, we often say self-love and I love myself. And then my, my thing to, to the listeners would be prove it. You say you love yourself, prove it. It's the same thing where somebody tells you they love you and you say, well, prove it. You, you're saying it, but you're not proving it. You say you love yourself, prove it. Be patient with yourself, forgive yourself. And, and do daily practices. We get called in routines and our mm -hmm. brains go on autopilot, mm -hmm. which is not healthy. Like if you, they say, have you ever been driving and you, and you look up and you go like, oh my gosh, I'm home. And you just drove 12 miles and you don't even Me? remember. You don't right. even remember you, your brain was on autopilot and we live a lot of our lives on autopilot. So, so some, of the, some of the things you can do to get your brain off autopilot is move stuff around in your home okay have you ever painted your house put down new carpet uh move your furniture around did you feel differently so you just take you just take your brain off it could be something simple just move your work desk around or whatever and see the impact it has on your brain other things you can do are are if you take a shower in the morning take a shower at night if you generally take a bath sometimes take a shower um style your hair differently there's so many different things that you can do uh, some people say they say it can strengthen your brain if you're right-handed right with your left hand sometimes so this is just getting out of the out of routine getting your brain off of autopilot and it helps your brain become more aware so you can become more aware of how you're really feeling become more aware of processes that are going on around you and you can be you can know when you know, I'm feeling off. I just feel a little bit off. And you can know I need to practice more self-care. I feel I feel a little tired. I need to sit, I need to sit down. Pushing is good. We live in a culture when we're supposed to, we're just supposed to drive, drive, drive. And I hear a lot of people saying that with COVID-19, like they don't, they're not getting any downtime. Some people who are working, they're like they don't, they're not getting any time off. So you have to know when I gotta I gotta step back. Even if you have, maybe you tell your manager or somebody, I just, I'm, I need to step, I'm gonna step back this weekend. I'm gonna step back after five or six o'clock. You have to love yourself. You can't <laughs> wait for somebody else to, to sign off on that. So you say you love yourself, then prove it. Prove it through your relationships, prove it. I love that, prove it. I'm making a note. <laughs> You're right, in COVID, uh, you, I find that I'm setting more boundaries than I did before. Uh, so there are some things where I have hard stops, you know, it's like, okay, I can do that until this time. And then I've got to stop. And, um, the other day it's like, I, I just did nothing for about 30 minutes and it was the best nothing you. ever. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best you. nothing ever. Yeah. So what techniques do you, would you, do you use regularly to stop and restart and refocus? that maybe some of us at home could to do any specific techniques. Cause you know, people don't want to try something unless someone else says it works for them. So <laughs> I will tell you that uh, some of these techniques I learned years ago uh, when I was in a situation that was tough and I was, it was like uh, receiving advice to do, do something to keep myself in, in balance. And I was fine. There was not nothing wrong. But that's again with the daily technique. So something doesn't become wrong. So, so I said, what are three things 
that I love, that I just love to do. Every day I have to do at least three things I love to do. And I was so busy, so busy that I would say things like, I have no time to meditate. Like people would tell me, you know, meditation is good. I'm like, who's got time for that? <laughs> meditate, who's got time? I don't have two minutes, spare minutes, let alone meditate for, I, don't, I, I couldn't understand how somebody could meditate for 30 minutes, like who has time? But people who are really successful, I'm telling you, they actually do it 30 minutes to an hour a day. And these are people with extremely busy schedules they won't not not do it. So this, I took three things that I love. I love a nice hot bubble bath. So I said, I'm, I'm getting that every day. And music I love for me, I'm listening to jazz. I'm listening to jazz as often as I can. Any other music that I love. I love walking in nature. This is something I've done for years. Now, I would say this about for walk, walking in nature, always be in a safe environment, but I'm, I'm going to talk about just walking around in, in your neighborhood or wherever there's a walking. Some people, there's like a park. There could be a park near where you live where you can walk, but someplace say, that's where a lot of ideals surface for me when I'm out in nature walking. And I've heard so many people talk about being out in nature. Yeah being out of nature walking the, the benefits of that and then later i added in meditation but i just want to share some i don't know why this came up in my mind i want to share this also uh, uh with the listeners and viewers if anybody and i don't know why this came up in my mind if anybody is dealing with like stress or anxiety when it comes to meditation here's another uh, a tip as well we, get, we can have thoughts that are intrusive thoughts or we, we start ruminating. The same thought just keeps going over and over. Sometimes it's around money. It could be a relationship. It could be a job, anything. Just watch the thought pass like you're watching a cloud go by and simply say something like, hmm, I seem to be thinking about paying my mortgage. Or, hmm. I seem to be thinking about the date I'm going on on Friday and just just don't attach anything to it just watch it float by it's a thought because it's all it is. It's just a thought just watch it go by I seem to be thinking about my doctor's appointment. Just let it go by I seem to be thinking about that project just watch it go by and see if you do that if the stress doesn't start to come down because it's just a thought and we're not we're not our thoughts it's just if you thought about all the thoughts that passed through your head since you were born <laughs> just just i seem to be thinking about and let it go so that's another those, tip yeah those are great i love i do make time for meditation as a matter of fact, I don't think I'm a nice person if I don't get my meditation <laughs> in that day. And with COVID, you're right. I too have learned to really love walking in nature until I do it every day, rain, sleet, snow, cold. And, and for, the, for the viewers, so I do about now about 25 miles a week, but start small, just start mm -hmm. and give yourself permission because as Denise said, you'll be really surprised at how clear your head becomes and the thoughts that sort of the good thoughts and loving thoughts that just drift in. Um, I used to say that, but after I really started doing it, it really is true. Okay. 
And thank you for the suggestion of just letting your thoughts float by you, mm -hmm. uh, because we do have about 60,000 thoughts a day. So we don't pay attention to most of them. So why not pay attention to the ones that are not making you happy? Mm -hmm. There you go. There you go. How do you juggle a writing career, a corporate job, and a healthy personal life? That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know what? I think some of it, to be honest, comes from upbringing, my family, my everybody in my family, hard workers, hard, hard workers. So part of it is just upbringing. Mm -hmm. And I think I just learned it from watching my grandparents. My mom passed when I was young, but and watching my dad operate his own business, my siblings. So part of that is just upbringing, I think, okay. where it comes from. The other, I will tell you, hands down, hands down, organization being organized being organized so you're not running around what's that what i do with that note what did i do with that where where where, where is that where's that file where's that file and you know if you're like you, you you see on the movies where people are running around where's my tie where's my tie where's my shoes where's my and then it takes you forever just to get ready to go somewhere because you 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 disorganized you're, you you you're running around looking for stuff and where's that where's that so being being organized and the next thing is prioritizing because i'm sure you do i know i do i get so many emails sometimes it feels overwhelming like oh my gosh too much but prioritizing so i know this is what i need to do now and i'll, I'll focus on this on maybe wednesday or, or or another day and this i need to focus on the top of the day i can work on this later in the afternoon so organization and prioritizing and then for a lot of people who many of us have to collaborate whether we're working at a, an entrepreneur or we're working for another company or we're just raising a family we have to or we're working at a worship center we have to collaborate with other people so also another way to balance it is taking into account other people's schedules when you're prioritizing and getting really clear <laughs> with everybody really clear about who's responsible for what when and then doing you know a regular check-in so you know you you're still on schedule and there's no organization no um no gaps so there's no last minute rushing around and frantic running around and i do do have to do quite a bit of collaborating so that's why i wanted to throw that in because i don't i'm not able to do everything on my own uh even as a writer i have to my my editor i i when i do marketing i i have to collaborate with other people and this is when such and such is due so this is when i need you to complete what you're doing and i do my check-in so i know everything is on schedule so there are no last minute surprises because that with a busy schedule too many surprises can be overwhelming <laughs> that is so true what would you tell a woman who is afraid to follow her dreams? Oh my goodness. A woman who is afraid. Oh, this goes almost back to where we started. You know, a lot of people are afraid. So it's a lot of people are afraid. This almost goes back to where we started. Mm -hmm. It really does to, to feeling empowered. Okay, so here's what I would say. There have been times in my life when I have certainly struggled with confidence especially years ago i will tell you this i remember years ago 
So when I was a little, little girl, I was very outspoken, very bold. And people told me I got written on my report card that I was a little chatterbox and I talked too much. I was a good student, but I talked too much. So I, it made me angry because I everything else in my report card was good. And I made the honor roll and all, and all of that, but I just talked too much. So I said, I'm not saying anything else in school, <laughs> school then, but I don't know if that sort of eroded, started to erode my confidence a little bit. I've since got it back, but I got to a point where I was scared to stand up in school and do a book report. I was like petrified, like praying, oh, don't let her call on me, my English teacher, don't let her call on me, please. I don't want to go up there. And so other people could be struggling with whether they say public speaking is one of the top fears top fears so it, it you could be struggling with with self-confidence a woman who's afraid to go after her dreams i would imagine that part of that would have to do with self-confidence I, I i really would so here's here's one thing i would say when i was dealing with that being afraid to speak in public i made myself take an impromptu speaking class scared and all <laughs> myself do it and then, and, and, I, and I did it. And then when I would go out to book events, anybody wants to sit on the panel or I raise my hand. And then the fear started to go away. It's like watching the thoughts pass kind of, and the fear, the fear started to go away. And now I love, I love public speaking. So I would say this, number one, do something you're scared to do. I mean, do okay. something that you, that you are like almost petrified to do. And I mean, something healthy and good, but you're scared to do. You're scared to follow your dreams, do something you're scared to do. And you you watch and see from your brain to your whole inner self. And if you, if you have a very clear focus, watch how it works for you on your behalf. And when you start doing more things you were petrified to do, that those limiting beliefs, you just start knocking them down. They, they won't be able to stand. They will not be able to stand. You start <laughs> blasting them away. And then you can look at your dream and know, I can do that. I can do that. I heard a story uh, recently about a woman. She, uh, she got laid off during COVID. Well, COVID was in 2020, really, really bad when it was bad. And she had one stimulus check for, I don't know if this was in Black Enterprise. She had one stimulus check, $1,200. She said, what am I gonna do? I gotta take care of my kids. And she went out, she said she was a millennial. She had some type of, uh, like a training, something she knew she could do. She went out and did it. And she is now multi-millionaire. And we're talking in one year. So she goes from being laid off takes one stimulus check and she, and I forget the exact details of it. And she went after it. So you go from being scared to, will somebody else hire me that I'm gonna start my own business and take it off. But then I know another woman who started, started a school with uh, very little, little people's college in Trenton, New Jersey with very little money. And that college was a bad, very, we call it little people's college for little, little kids. Okay. <laughs> Kindergarten. That school was so, so well known and so well respected. Just start with one thing, but something you're really scared to do. You're really scared to do, but you really want to do. And then just keep doing things that you're scared to do. And if you don't, here's, here's another thing. 
they say when people are getting ready to, I call it exit their bodies or transition, they ask them like at hospice or at a hospital, they, they, they ask what is, what are like the, your top five regrets? And one that almost always comes up, well, some of them is, I wish I hadn't cared so much about what other people thought of me. Mm-hmm. And then another one is, I wish I had gone after my dreams. And, 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 and when you're at the end, that's, that's not the best time to really realize that. So I would say we don't, all of us don't know the future. Why not go after your dreams? So go take one thing you're afraid of, just start doing it. You're scared. You're going to have all kinds of thoughts telling you, no, you, you're going to, people going to laugh at you. you you're going to look dumb. Just keep going and then prove that that part of you wrong. You're going to have to just start proving that limiting those limiting beliefs to be wrong. And the only way to do it is not, it's not just through going to, to seminars and reading books. You have to take the action and just keep taking it till you can prove to yourself just how much you can do. Go for it. Okay. So that is a challenge for all of the listeners today and in the future who listen to this show. You are to do one thing that you are afraid to do to help you move forward with living your dreams because Denise and I do not want you to die with your dreams still inside of you. Yes. So one thing, and you all have to come back and post it to this thread so we can (laughs) see what this thing is because we're going to be your accountability partner and you're going to be our accountability partner too because that's how this works. So remember one thing, don't die with that dream inside of you. We want to talk about today Yes, living the dreams. And as my media coach mentioned earlier, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, someone won't be helped because someone is waiting for you to do what you're supposed to do. So let's talk about this childhood programming because we know a lot of this stuff comes from childhood. So share some ways to overcome childhood programming. Ah, uh, child, child. Well, first of all, one of the things is I already shared, do, try to do something different every day to get your brain off of autopilot because we know our minds love comfort. They, they love, love comfort. And routine is comfort. Routine is, what, what, is, what does somebody say? Better the devil I do know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's just routine. Than the hell that I don't know, right? It's routine, routine is comfort. It's, it's, and so if you want to achieve your dreams, you're going to have to uh, break out a routine. Here's another thing. And I read this years ago in Anthony Robbins' book. And I highly recommend this book. His book, Awaken the Giant Within. And it came out many, many years ago. And he had an exercise in there. So here's one thing to break childhood programming that I would share. He had this exercise and I just thought, oh, I'm, I, I've read so many books like this. I, I got this down pat. <laughs> so here was the exercise. Take off, take off everything, your makeup, if, you're, if you wear makeup, you know, if you don't, if you don't take off everything. If you got a hair piece on, get rid of that. And we come completely nude. And he said, if you can get a floor length center from the floor length mirror, do that. It's not as, as, as long of a mirror to capture your whole body as you can. He said, most people cannot do this. And I, I, when I read it, I said, this is so simple. I know I can do it. He said, stand in front of the mirror 
and 10 times do not turn away. Do not turn away. Don't start looking off and closing your eyes. Look right at yourself. And 10 times slowly say, I love you. I love you. To yourself. 10 times slowly. You don't have anything on, no get up, just you, just you. And he said, most people can't do it. Oh, I thought I could knock that out no time flat. I'm telling you, I don't think I got to three times. And I ended up, I just broke down and cried. I couldn't do it. I could not do it. I could not do it. I was shocked. And I said, I will, I will not stop till I can do that. Now I can do it. But I'm telling you the first time I can do it. So a lot of people, doesn't that sound like a very simple exercise? <laughs> so that is that is one thing I would say to you to 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 that that shows you that it was some childhood programming in me, probably that wasn't right, because <laughs> I couldn't do that. So that's an exercise. Take off, I mean everything. Just get rid of it and then look right at yourself slowly. Do not turn away and say that to yourself. Not, a, not a, just a head mirror, the whole thing. Oh, nobody, right. <laughs> and, and say that to yourself. So that is one exercise, uh, childhood programming. Positive affirmations can also work with, with childhood programming. Journaling, write, write out how, you, how you're feeling. Journaling is very helpful. And actually writing things out can be more therapeutic than just typing them out. So mm -hmm. just writing in your journal or, or writing mm -hmm. out uh, how you're feeling. Uh, and there's another one, I, and this just popped into my head. There's a, there's a guy, he, he's, he's passed away, but I think his wife's here and she's still running the program. It's called the Morty Lefko. The Morty Lefko technique. And they used to have a lot of free, no, no cost involved, a lot of free um, programs that they would use. And they would, they would deal with childhood programming. And he found after working with thousands of people that there were common things that all people tended to deal with going back to their childhood so you know he would ask you questions like do you uh, you do you struggle to speak up for yourself uh do you have a hard time dealing with conflict uh different things like that and he could almost know exactly the type of programming you heard when you were a kid that was causing this problem and he had techniques he would work through to get real specific about when did you hear that when you were a child when did you hear you were stupid? When did you hear? When did you hear you were slow? When did you hear you talk too much? When did you hear you're too quiet? And you're boring, and and get real specific about the first time you heard it, and then how you feel about it, and and what type of situations you're in now that you can see I feel the same way now that I felt then, and then he had techniques that he would take you through. So those types of things help as well. And then some people, the brain might be on such a cycle that uh, you, you may need to get professional help. Well, uh, uh, somebody who's licensed and very experienced, they, they can access your subconscious. It, once they get that trust and rapport with you, you won't even know what they're doing. You might just see them look like they're uh, kind of doing something with their fingers, <laughs> playing with their shirt, but they're doing mind work. They're doing mind work and they can access your subconscious and what's been tripping you up, they can help untrip you very, very, very quickly. So the, the, the main thing though, I would say to anybody with childhood programming, know that you are, you, your worth is so much that words, you will never know how much you're worth. 
and there, there are no words, no matter what you've done, no, no words for it. But it's not just enough to hear these things. Uh, again, you have to practice self-love. And then also, if you need to get help, go get the help, try the journaling, writing things out, just try, try different things until you, you find what works. And something might work for you for a while, and then your, your brain start getting a little tricky on you again, trying to pull you back. This is what I call trying to pull you back into Egypt. And then you have to find something else you can do. It's, it's constant, but you love yourself. You love yourself, so and you know you're worth it. And then here's another thing I definitely want to share. Don't go into relationships with people who reinforce negative childhood programming because that's something we all do. There was a, there was a, an experiment done years ago. They uh, uh, they they put they put a woman in a room and they did this several times with like a like you say we come into a conference maybe you put maybe ten women and I don't know uh, fifty guys in a room. Only one of the guys is has alcoholism, and the the woman's uh, father had alcoholism. They but the woman doesn't know who the guy is. The guy doesn't know, and that was always the guy. The woman said, "He's my soulmate," but he wasn't. He was the guy who was like her father, father. who was sick. So that childhood programming was attracting her to a guy who had the same sickness that her father had. So don't go into relationships with people who reinforce negative childhood programming and, 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 and don't rationalize. <laughs> the brain can get tricky when you know it's time for me to leave this relationship because I can't, if I let you punch me, it's, a, it's like I am licensing. I should might as well just start hitting myself and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it directly. And I'm not going to do it indirectly through you. So don't go into relationships that reinforce negative childhood programming. So we want you to also start your mirror work. Uh, I do a form of mirror work that Louise Hay talks about. So I have a compact that I flip over anytime. And every time I pass a mirror, I tell myself, I love you. Okay. But I had it's like when I do the full length mirror work, I usually say something like, Oh, I love you, fat thighs and all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to do your mirror work. Uh, yes, you do. You have to. And as Denise says, you do have to watch the relationships and the people you attract. Because if they're reinforcing negative things, then that's mm. not the one for you. Maya Angelou told a story in one of her books that she had this dress that she loved. And her husband at that time knew she loved it. And she wore it to a party. And... He just, all he could do was said, I don't know why she wore that dress, you know, to her friends. And she says, when they got home, she packed his bags. And he says, what are you doing? And she says, you're leaving because you chose to embarrass me oh, yeah. in, in front of my friends. So I now know what you bring to the relationship. So watch the little signs because we want to be sure that you're loving yourself and everyone in your life is loving yourself. So you guys got to do something that you're scared to do, okay, toward your dreams and you have to do mirror work. So you always get homework on my show. So, uh, but when this is over, God, all this love, we could really change the world. Are you kidding me? We we got that. So I, I have now this question that I put on the list is like, uh, what would you say is one of your interesting writing quirks? Ooh. We already know we already know you hear the voices. A lot of people talk about being guided, and I love that. So uh, writing quirks. 
so do you does it have to be quiet do you need to be is it a certain day or a certain room or oh, well, I, you just I would get say, the ideas and they just come i would say uh, like a writing quirk for me maybe i don't know if it's really a quirk but i've heard some writers like some people when they study they mm -hmm. need complete silence i i'm fine if there's a lot of noise <laughs> or if it's quiet i can sit down and write i generally will just start uh, I, and I can't, I remember my grandfather asked me years ago, he said, how do you sit down with a blank piece of paper and create a story? And I said, it just comes. It just, it just comes. But like the latest book I'm, I'm writing on, Running Toward Freedom, I did an outline. I did an outline with it and there's another book I wrote, but most of my books, I'll just sit down and just start typing. I'll do my character sketches because you don't want to get characters confused and keep the ages and background straight a little bit of genealogy with my character. So I know this one's mother and father and brother and sister and keeping that straight. But generally I would just sit down and write. But a quirk for me, I would say is I can write with a lot of noise or I can write when it's quiet. However, like with my book Spiral, which is a murder mystery set in Memphis, Tennessee in the 1940s. Well, I didn't, in the 1940s, I wasn't, I wasn't here in the 1940s. So to, to get in the mood to really, I did a lot of research. I did a lot of study on that time period, never been to Memphis. I, I studied Memphis, same thing with Portia. I, I never lived in uh, Chicago. People swore when they read Portia, they told me, oh, I remember you, you lived, you lived on the South side. I said, I never lived in Chicago in my life. They're like, yes, you did. You, I, I read your book, you did. I said, no, I just researched on it. Same thing with Memphis. People swallowed was from Memphis. I said I never, I've never been been to Memphis. So another quirk might be, when I'm doing a certain time period, I will listen to music from that time, so I can really get into the mood, the spirit of that time. So it come, it flows, it flows through the story. Uh, and on top of the research, that music really helps me to get back to that period and sometimes like uh, i think i did this with spiral i kept like pictures from the 1940s around me again with the music it helped me to get in to really feel like what the characters would be feeling so the reader could experience it more fully as well so those would be a that would be a quirk oh that's cool that's really <laughs> cool so what do you do when you're not writing oh my goodness what do I do when I am not writing? Well, I, I love with when COVID is over, I love to travel and because I love to learn. I like going to museums. I like to learn. I like going mm -hmm. places like that. And I definitely, right before COVID kicked off, I was supposed to go to a book club event in Alabama and then COVID hit and they kept pushing it back because we didn't think COVID was, who thought COVID would last as long as it did? I thought two weeks. <laughs> it's been over a year so but um getting back out on the road i like to meet book readers book buyers face to face they in, in, interact with them and they're like i saw you on and it's, it's just good to do that um and spending time with my family family is so so important uh to me so traveling going to book events spending time with my family. I love being outdoors in nature. Those are things that I, I really enjoy doing when I'm not when I'm not writing. Also, in addition to novel writing, I also 
do freelance writing. So sometimes I'm busy doing that. And there's a totally different type of writing where I do work for small business starts, businesses, startups, and major corporations. And that's a totally different mm -hmm. mindset of writing. That's more of a sales and marketing. Uh, but my absolute favorite form of writing uh, is novel writing. So what what are some of the things that your characters have shared with you and how have they influenced you? What have you learned from your characters? Because I know a lot of writers say they become their own people. Once you created them, they sort of take a life of their own. Well, I will tell you, uh, and love has many faces, uh, which I can't remember exactly when I came out, but that was my second novel and it's set in New York City. It's it's a it's a a, a, a famous A-list actress. She's really down and flat right now, and she puts a, a ad in the paper for a roommate. And Robin, who's an up and coming playwright, who goes on to do very very well, she answers it. They are nothing alike, but there's something from Leslie's father's past that haunts them. And I'm not going to give the story away. But talking about characters, I there's something that happens in the, in the book in the end, and I can't say it or give it away. But the, and I didn't want to do it. This is kind of weird. And I've heard other authors say this too. I didn't want to do it. But the character says to me, this has to happen to me. And I'm telling you that readers were so upset. They were so upset. They were mad. They told me, oh my God, why'd you do that to her? And then, they, I mean, they were upset. Uh, one thing about being a novelist, too, that I learned, and I learned that with Love as Many Faces and Spiral, people sometimes are not as forgiving as I thought they were, because I, I was really surprised with Love as Many Faces, where a lot of people just told me how much they hated Leslie. They hated her guts. And you didn't make her suffer enough. I, I'll never forget hearing that from so many readers. And then with Spiral, they like, you didn't make them suffer enough. If somebody in a story did something wrong, that really su surprised me. But uh, where characters are like, maybe I have to get away. I have to get away, <laughs> or or this or this has to happen. Like this has to happen to me. Uh, so that that uh, and then my very first book that I never published was about a guy who went on to become an NFL uh, football player, and his wife was more like a a, a housewife. But, um, and I never published it, but he, um, uh, uh, in, the, in, that, in that story, I used to have dreams. And that was, I, I don't have dreams with my uh, characters anymore, but at night my characters would come to me in dreams. But so that, that hasn't happened in years though. But I know writers who tell me they have dreams with their characters and their characters, they say, talk to them. I don't get so much of that. I don't know if I'd want that <laughs> But if you had to meet one of your characters out of all the books you've written, which would be your choice? Do you have a favorite one? Oh my gosh. Wow. I would probably pick up one person from each book because okay. I would definitely want to meet Mulligan. And she was just remarkable what she did from her start. Uh, I would want to meet Portia, and I would want to meet Raymond and 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 love pour over me. 
And there's a little girl who are, I said, I call it seer, S-E-E-R and spiral. She can see things, her and her brother. I mean, they have a, a gift. Um, her, it would be interesting to meet her. I would say, and, and Robin, I think would be interesting and love has many faces. But I'd also want to meet Leslie. She's real bold. I'm telling you, she is in your face. <laughs> but um, I would want to meet them. If I had to pick absolutely just one, I don't know, it would probably be between Mulliken and Raymond. I would have to, but it would be tough. Fantastic. Oh, wow. This has been a great show. And spite of all of our hiccups at the very beginning, I have really enjoyed the interview. So we are out of time. So is there a last thought you want to leave with the audience or something for us to remember or think about to change our lives? Oh, go after your dreams. Go after your dreams. I would definitely encourage you because that's where I think that's where our joy is. Where whatever has been placed in us to do while we're here, go after it and do it. And please, if I can, would y'all, I would love for you to visit me online at my website, Chistel, C-H-I-S-T-E-L-L.com, Chistel.com, and you can read free excerpts of my books there. Thank you so much. All right, so uh, give us your website again. C-H-I-S. T-E-L-L.com. That's right. And it's a great website and you can read excerpts from her book. So please visit her website and uh, just have a good time reading. Uh, I think that that is fantastic. So with that, I want to say thank you, Denise, for joining oh, me. It you. has been a pleasure. I absolutely enjoyed it. And oh, I too you. am inspired to go do uh, that one thing I've been afraid to do. I says, uh-oh, this was like divine, the divine appointment here because I've been struggling with this one thing and I've got my, my encouragement. So thank you very much. I want to again thank Rise. Uh, when, you need a, when you need a supply company to rise to your needs, call Resource Industrial Supply and Equipment. And as I always say, I want you to do not go gently into that good night. Find a hill worth dying for and take it. Be the person you've been waiting for and make today so awesome that yesterday gets jealous. And above all else, do it your way. May this day offer you just what you need in each unfolding moment and be inspired until further notice. Celebrate everything. I'm Stephanie Wilson Coleman, the Empowerment Doctor. And as I always say, life is too short to drink cheap champagne. So good night. You guys all love yourself. Do your mirror work. And have a great day and evening. Bye now. Greetings, I'm Stephanie Wilson Coleman, the Empowerment Doctor, and today I want to encourage you to dream big. Decide what you're going to accomplish today. And remember, you are powerful and creative, so get it done. Every obstacle presents an opportunity, so don't shy away or shrink when you see obstacles. Always. Keep your focus on your goal and make a plan. Believe in goodness. Believe in the goodness that surrounds you, whether you see it or not, because I assure you that it is there. With those tips, I want you to go ahead and make it a great day. Stephanie Wilson, Coleman, the Empowerment Doctor, and I believe in you.
Bye, me.